Hey guys, welcome to the Burris Law Life and Friends podcast. My name's Luke Trukin. This is Jason Burris coming to you with another episode. And hey, Jason, we just wanted to get right into this. And let me ask you this question. What are the top things you need to do when you get into an accident that is going to help your case if you have a case? And then on the flip side, what are the top things you should not do that might harm your case? Um, Walk me through what maybe that looks like. Let's be honest. We had a guest who was supposed to show up. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to go there. Yeah, we are going to go there. We had a guest who was going to show up in 30 minutes before. I mean, this is this is our third podcast, I guess. Yeah. And so this is my first experience with the, you're ready to do the podcast. Ready and to your, go. Your guest doesn't show up. Oh, well. And you get 30 minutes notice. So <laughs> so it is a, really an impromptu podcast. Um, so, but whatever you want to talk about, we will talk about and I'll do it to the best of my ability. Okay. Come on, <laughs> come on. I'm liking that. What, what was your, what was your question? All right. So, so what are the, what are the, the top things you need to do, um, when you get in an accident? And then I'm going to ask you the flip side after that, as far as what do you, what are the no nos? Um, but let's take that first one. What, what is the first thing you should do or the first things you should do? as soon as you get into an accident. Got it. So, so I think the first thing is, I think it really matters what kind of shape you're in because if you are incapacitated, mm. you're not doing anything. Yeah, right. If you're not incapacitated, but you're really hurt, I mean, I think there's a different set of things. If you are hurt or not hurt, um, then I think it's a different. So let's just let's assume that you're not incapacitated. So I think the first thing you're going to do is <clears throat> move to a safe place. Okay. And I'm going to give an example that this case is imprinted on my mind and always will be. Biggest case I ever had as a defense attorney. I started out as a defense attorney before I became an attorney to represent victims. <clears throat> Crash happened on 75. It was mm-hmm. a mild rear-end collision. <clears throat> Both parties pull off to the inside shoulder. It, there was no HOV lane at that point. This was uh, this is 17, 18 years ago. <clears throat> the responsible party and the victim, no injuries, are in between the responsible party's car and the victim's car. Oh, no, I can already see this. 18-wheeler comes, something happens, 18-wheeler makes an, maybe an avoidance maneuver, 18-wheeler hits the responsible party's vehicle that then hurls it forward and pin, essentially pins the responsible party and the victim between God. those two vehicles. The victim dies. The responsible party had catastrophic injuries. So I think the bottom line is, if you're able to get out, get to a safe place. That's the first thing. Basically, what I'm hearing you say is like, and I think this is where people get really caught up, um, is like, you know, I got to take the picture and I've got to get their information exactly in 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 the same place as the accident. Can't move, any of that kind of stuff. But really what you're saying is, is that, it's okay. 
move off the road, get to a safe place, um, and document all of that stuff from a different location so that you're not potentially creating another accident or something like that. I mean, that's actually really, really good advice. In, in, in this instance, the vehicles were where they needed to be. They were in the inside shoulder. There's four or five lanes on northbound mm-hmm. 75, and this is close to Plano Parkway uh, or Park. Um, they didn't need to move. They just didn't need to be between those vehicles. They, they, they really should have walked northbound and been in a safe place. I mean, it, it was a weird situation, but I think generally speaking, get off of the roadway if you can. Okay. All right. I think the second thing is if you're hurt, you need to call 911. You need to call 911. If you're hurt and incapacitated, and there's witnesses around, you know, that, that will usually be done. But if, but if you're hurt, you need to call 911. Um, the police will be dispatched. Ambulances will be dispatched. And that's, that's the second thing that you want to do, obviously. Um, so, you know, I think, again, we're talking about a situation where you're not incapacitated. You're able to visit. Um, Next thing I can think of is if you are able to visit with the, let, I'm going to call them responsible part. I mean, let, let's step back a second. People who call us are victims. They okay. didn't cause the crash. So if, if, if you've identified the, the responsible party as a kind person, if they haven't come up to you yelling and screaming and that time, um, you want to, Exchange information with them. Okay. Now, if they are aggressive, don't engage. Confrontational at all, just don't engage. All right. We're talking about ninety-five percent of the time when they care, they usually come up to the response to, to the victim and you know, are you okay? That type of thing. Once you establish that there's a friendly relationship, you want to exchange information. I think in this day and age, the best thing that you can do is take out your iPhone, take a picture of two things, their driver's license and their insurance card. Okay. Those are the two things you need to do. Now, there's some other things that you're going to need to document, Um, but it depends on what type of crash it is. Mm. If it's a rear-end crash, there's not a lot of issues with respect to liability generally if someone runs into the back of you they're going to be found negligent but there are other types of crashes there are um head-on crashes there are t-bone crashes the whodunits are generally the t-bone crashes Mm. who's at fault yeah it's hard harder to tell who who is at, at what position and, and, and who created the crash and who is the victim and that, that kind of things. That, that's right. Because, because what you hear over and over and over is one party will say, I had a green light. And the other, other party will say, well, I had an arrow. And it comes down to, did you have an arrow? Did you have a green light? Because, you know, a lot of times you'll have a green light, but you don't have an arrow. 
Right. Sometimes you'll have a yellow still light yield, or still a yellow yield to air. oncoming traffic. That, that, that's right. Yep. And so, you know, I think it depends. So, so if you have a T-bone type type crash, um, you know, I think it makes sense to video, photograph the intersection, the mm. light sequencing. Um, you know, the other thing that I would recommend is, so I would not, and I've had clients do this. I would not take out my iPhone and video the responsible party. I just, I, I think it's intrusive. I think it can cause conflict. I think a much better way to do it is uh, most of uh, most of us who have iPhones, and, I, and I'm assuming Androids and, and others, you have a voice recorder. Okay. Um, it's not yep. it's not video, but <clears throat> turn it on. Mm. Turn it on. Get their get the responsible party story. What happened? Why did they run the light? You know, whatever it it may be. I mean, and generally, you can have that iPhone in your pocket. You can have the record button on, and it's it it's going to get it. It's 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 going to record it. Interesting. Um, That's a really good idea. Where it's not as confrontational, and it's you almost don't even it, it, you're not in somebody's face about it. Where it's really easy as soon as you pull your phone out um, and you start recording somebody, and they know what you're doing, and it, it just becomes really confrontational, um, and people start to second guess and really start to question maybe what they're going to say. And so if you just put that thing in your pocket and you just record the audio, that's actually a really good idea. I never would have thought of that. Um, to get that information, to still have that 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 proof, but it's in a way that, you know, it, it allows people to still express what happened and not have to maybe subconsciously or, or consciously second guess what they're going to say. That's actually really cool. You're exactly right. And, 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 from a guy who's done a couple thousand of these cases, I mean, I've had a few cases where my clients videoed the responsible party, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't really look good. I mean, mm. it looks like you're trying to make a claim. And so, I, you know, but I, th- I, th- I think just a, an audio recording is, is great. Um, so again, <clears throat> you're not incapacitated. You don't have someone who you feel like is threatening your safety. A few other things that I would do with your with your iPhone, I would again if it's a it's if it if it's a T bone type um, collision or if there's, if there's any who done it type thing. Sure. Um, the light sequencing, uh, the intersection, um, make sure and take photos, video if you can of the vehicles, the property damage. Make sure that you get the license plate of the vehicle that hit you. That's important. If you can try to get the responsible party near the vehicle that they were driving, sometimes it will, you'll have an issue of, well, I wasn't driving that vehicle. Well, Oh, I've wow. Got you r- Never oh, thought I, of that. Happens all the time. Oh my gosh. And especially when there's a drunk driving issue. And if you can get them right in front of the vehicle, um, you know, that's that, proof that they were there. That, that really helps. Um, I, you know, I think the other thing is make sure you get the, um, picture of the license plate, okay. um, of the responsible party's vehicle. I think that's important. The orientation, uh, of the vehicles I think is important and it's not just your vehicle and the responsible party's vehicle, but if there's any other vehicles involved, make sure you take photos of those vehicles too. 
you know, a couple other things that I can think of. Um, now, you're, you're going to do this from the time of the crash. I mean, a couple hours after the crash, and you're going to take them via progression for days or weeks, whatever the case may be. But if you're injured, if you have bruising, a lot of times it takes a while for bruising to um, show up. And sometimes it may be day six before bruising gets to the – most visible point. Mm. You want to take um, progression, progression. Photos, of, f- photos of your bruising. That that's that's a that is a big deal for purposes of claim value. Now, Interesting. Medical records may talk about bruising, but they're not going to really show it like a picture would. They're not going to show. Let, it. let me go back to uh, time of the crash really quick before we move on past that and. Let me ask you uh, this. What about witnesses? Okay, so um, a lot of times, at least in my experience, right, like you'll have a witness that comes up and be like, hey, I've, I witnessed this. Let me give you um, or, or I want to be a witness for you or whatever. I saw the whole thing happen. What do you need to do as far as that goes? Are you responsible for the documentation of that? Um, I know a lot of times the police department will capture that information and include that in the reports or whatever. But is that something that you as the victim um, are responsible for collecting and documenting as well? Or is that something more or less like the system just works it out from that point forward? Like, is that kind of the way that it goes? Or, or what, what's the proper process when it comes to documentation of witnesses? No, ab- ab- absolutely. You should do that. If there are eyewitnesses you should get their contact information. Mm. You don't necessarily need to get their insurance information or their driver's license, but get their phone number. Okay. Um, that's that, that's a huge deal. And I, I have a ton of stories about how that can help your case because if you have witnesses versus if you don't, especially in a T-bone type of collision or a frontal collision, um, that that's a big deal. Are there cases where it just comes down to he said, she said? Very rarely. Okay. Can you pull Can you pull the video surveillance cameras from the top of the stoplights and that kind of stuff? Great question. Depends on where you are. Okay. In the city of McKinney, we have virtually no cameras on really? stoplight. That's correct. There are some... There are some... Um, objects on the signal lights that sort of look like cameras but they're not they're motion detectors interesting and so 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 many times clients will say there's video on because i can see it's not interesting Uh, your main roads around here 75 121 in particular there's video okay um and, and you know in fact we can you know we've had a few just unbelievable results lately and one of them was totally dependent upon 121 cameras we can talk about that later but um huge deal i i wish all of our red lights had cameras just because it would make so much easier Mm -hmm. yeah you know the other thing is we're seeing more and more instances where people have gopros or other Mm. types of cameras in their vehicle okay super important um, would you say that's just a must basically these days to have 
just to, to go get a dash cam or something along the lines of that in your camera? I don't have one. So I, I don't have one, so I can't say it's a must. Okay. Um, I think it's a good idea. I, I'm not, you know, I mean, our law firm embraces technology fully. Sure. In my private life, I'm not quite as good, but um, but but I think a GoPro camera in your vehicle is great. Now, is it going to show when you make a mistake? Sure. Yeah. But I'm okay with that. All I want's the truth. Sure. So yeah, I think a GoPro camera or or, or some sort of similar camera in your vehicle is great. Um, it, in terms of, I think your initial questions: What do you need to do after a crash? And and, and we sort of um, captioned it as if you're not incapacitated. But let's talk about if you're hurt. Um, you have got to go to the emergency room. Now, there... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, let's also talk about what happens if you are incapacitated. Like, because you're leaving all of that up to other people around you. You're kind of left at the odds of the system. Like, what happens in that situation? Because um, is, is there anything you can do or is it just the way that it plays out? Like... Let's talk through that a little bit. My experience is the more incapacitated you are, the more involved the um, police or DPS will be. Okay. And if you're incapacitated, um, chances are they're going to show up. And I mean by that DPS or police, they're going to show up to the hospital. They're going to visit with you. And I think they're, you know, tell the truth, tell what you know. Um, and then you wait for that crash report to... Mm come out do you do you find that a lot of those situations where people don't really remember what what happened like maybe they'll they'll know like seconds leading up to that but they don't really remember anything after that point so uh nobody does more tbi which stands for traumatic brain injuries nobody does more tbi cases than us in this county which is one of the largest counties in texas period nobody does more than us it's still pretty rare for a client to tell me I have no recollection of what mm-hmm. happened at all. Okay. 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 Generally they know. So I think the real issue at that point is you talk to the police officer when they come in, you wait for that crash report to be disseminated, which is usually four or five days. It can be shorter. It can be a little bit longer. And I think the most important thing, if you're incapacitated, um, and I also think it's important if you um, are not incapacitated, but when you get that police report, review it carefully. Um, I think you know this. I I don't want to get into details, but my family was involved in a very significant rear-end collision six, eight weeks ago. Mm. Um, The crash report had... um, one of my children's ages off four or five years. Holy cow. It happens. Yeah. Okay. Um, these are real people writing the reports. Sure. And, I, and I think if there, if there is a, is a clear error in the police report, mm. call the officer, call the officer and say, this is not correct. So, um, so when you get the police report, you can edit it tech, technically after the fact. You can't edit it, but you can call the officer uh, or the station and say, hey, there's an error in here. Gotcha. And That's a really know, interesting point. Mm-hmm. I did, had no idea. Yep. I kind of thought that what whatever you got was kind of what you got. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I think the other thing that we were kind of talking about is if you're, if you're injured, 
my best advice is you're at the scene. You're asked if you should go to the ER. You know, do you want to go to the ER? Go to the ER. Go to the ER. If you don't go to the ER from the scene and you are injured, go to the emergency room that day. Okay. And if not, go the next day. Okay. But the question that I get a lot is, should I go to the emergency room? Yep. Should I go to my primary care physician? That was my next question was they always ask you, well, hey, do you want to go get checked out or whatever? A couple that- things. The folks that, go to, that want to go to their primary care physician, about 70% of the time, their primary care physician will not see them if they have been the victim of an auto crash. Really? My primary care physician who I've seen for 15 years, Dr. George, has that policy. If you are the victim of a crash, he is not going to see you. And that is a very real thing. I think the best thing that you can do is go to the emergency room instead of your primary care physician, instead of a chiropractor, instead of go to the emergency room. Okay. Okay. For, for what reason? For documentation purposes? Because is there, is there a specific reason or? There is. Um, we are not in the business of criminal law, criminal penalties. This is civil law. Okay. And we're talking about what makes the claims most valuable. Sure. And what makes the claims most valuable is if you go to the emergency room. If you go to the emergency room via ambulance, let me back up a second. Almost all these insurance companies have very intricate software that hmm. if an EMS transport is checked, it will open up other boxes that they that the adjusters can check to then add value. So okay. Just, Practically speaking, if you're hurt, you should go to the ER via EMS transport. If you don't do that, and let's talk about why people don't do that. Why people don't do that, if you're not catastrophically injured, a lot. So you've got all this adrenaline running mm-hmm. through your body. You don't really realize how you feel. It takes a little while. Sure. I mean, I've, I've heard this a thousand times, probably more than that. And as time goes on, you start to get sore and sore. You start to hurt more. And then, I mean, I get calls all the time. Hey, I didn't go to the ER. I've got a ton. There's a ton of damage to my vehicle. It's, it, it, the, my vehicle looks like an accordion. Yep. I feel terrible. It's getting worse and worse. What should I do? And I just tell them, I think you should go to the emergency room if you're in that type of pain. Mm. Okay. But adrenaline is a very real thing. So you may, right after the accident, you may, if you have significant, so what, what basically, correct me if I'm wrong, if you have significant damage to your vehicle and in the moment you may feel okay, but it's probably a good idea to just go ahead and go get checked out because the adrenaline's running, as soon as that runs down, you're probably going to be start, you're, you're going to start feeling it. And so 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think if you're at the scene, even if you've got a ton of, pro of, of property damage to your vehicle, if you don't feel any pain, don't go to the emergency room. Okay. Don't go. But if you have pain and your vehicle looks like an accordion, take a trip to the ER. Because here's the thing. The emergency room is, is, is they're depending on which hospital, and we can talk about which hospitals are better than others. I, I, I mean, when we talked about doing this podcast, I insisted on honesty, right? Yes, sir, you did. And that's I, all you are. It's all you, that's who you are as a person. So I will tell you who's better. Yeah. Um, if you're in pain and your vehicle looks like an accordion, you should go to the emergency room. And the thing about the emergency rooms is, you know, they will do CT scans. I mean, they're not going to do MRIs. Um, in an MRI, um, an MRI may be done a couple weeks later. There's no radiation in an MRI. There is radiation in a CT scan. And again, with my family's crash six, eight weeks ago, we had to make that decision. And even though there's some radiation, we wanted to make sure that there was no structural damage in the yeah. brain. Mm -hmm. um, and, and emergency rooms will do that. Your primary care physicians, your, your e-cares, your primacares, things like that, not so much. So I think if you're hurt, go to the ER. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's, I mean, those are some points that you just, some of the, a lot of that stuff, or at least for me, I've just like, wow, I've never, I've never, never known that. So that's really interesting. I, I think there's, I think there's a couple other points. That, I mean, the question is, what do you do? What do you not do after? Yeah. That, so that was my next point was what, so now we know really, what do you do in these situations? What about the opposite? Like, wh what are the things that you should not do? Um, something that you could do that you just have no, you know, you just don't know that's going to break your case or, or, or whatever. Um, I don't know if you have anything along the lines of that, but that would be my next question. Absolutely. The number one thing, if, if, if you were hurt in the crash or you were hurt in the incident, I mean, not everything's a vehicular crash. There sure. are all kinds of personal injury incidents. Um, call a qualified personal injury attorney, whether it's me or not, to help you. Do not call the insurance companies, plural, yours or theirs, before you call a personal injury attorney. Because here's what's going to happen. They are going to want to do a recorded interview mm. and that recorded interview is not going to be designed to obtain the facts and just the facts that recorded interview is going to be designed to limit your claim and also be set up to impeach you when your testimony is different down the line when your injuries are greater so my advice is don't call your insurance company right away. Certainly don't make a claim with the responsible party's insurance company. Call a qualified personal injury attorney if you are hurt. How soon do you have 
between accident, whatever it may be, and filing a claim to do that? If it is, if we're talking about a responsible party, so if we're, if, if we're talking about filing a claim, well, really, we're talking about filing a lawsuit. Yeah. You got two years against a responsible party in the state of Texas. Interesting. If it's your own insurance company, you got four years. Okay. And that's the rule in Texas. Okay. Uh, in California, it's less than that. Okay. There, it, it varies state by state. Um, but I think clients who talk to insurance companies before they talk to legal counsel do a tremendous disservice. And again, if I didn't have 19 years of experience, yeah. first thing I'd do is call the bad guy's insurance company and say, you're insured, caused this crash and caused me injury. I'm just telling you. With 19 years of experience. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So what happens in that to us? So, so do, do they call and talk to you and then you call back and talk to them? Like what? That's actually a really interesting point and one that kind of sparks a second question because I think at least for me um, and from the experiences that I've had, like it, it's one of those things where I, I think people really feel like they have this short window of time. Like they get in an accident and they really need to file, like call and file a claim like right away. But really what you're saying is, is like, no, you, like take a step back. Um, you have two years to, to do that. And so I guess really the other big distinction with this would be if there's serious injury, then really what you're saying is, is like you need to call and talk to a personal injury lawyer or b- before you talk to the insurance company. Is that basically what... I'm hearing you really do. And, and, I, and I want to, you know, introduce one, one, one caveat here. And that is if you are not incapacitated, let, let's just say your vehicle's totaled. Yep. You're not incapacitated. Find out where your vehicle's being towed because so many times a vehicle's totaled, it's being towed and a client who calls us has no idea where their vehicle is. And it's a wild goose chase for us. We'll run it down, but it's a wild goose chase. And the legal term is failure to mitigate damages. So if a storage facility, if a junkyard, if a wrecker yard has your vehicle for 30 days, I mean, they are charging per day. So you really need to find out where they are but if you're hurt, call your personal injury attorney. And what your personal injury attorney should do is figure out where that vehicle is, then send that information to the carrier, to the insurance carrier, and say, we are attempting to mitigate the damages. The vehicle is located here. You need to remove it from storage because it is accumulating storage fees every day. Interesting. And here's another thing. And again, there are some pretty good personal injury attorneys who may disagree on this. Um, I'm, I'm extremely confident that I'm, that I'm right on it. I'm just going to tell you, I think I'm right on it. I think you're always better going through your own insurance company. Really? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think you get a better number on the property damage. Okay. Um, so it's so what you're saying is it's better to call your insurance company than their insurance company. 
Interesting. What, and what happens is if your insurance company pays, they will do, they will subrogate, the term is subrogate, they will be repaid from the responsible party's insurance company. The only negative is you may, in most cases I find that's not the case, but you may not be repaid your deductible right mm. off right off the bat. But I think it works out better in general if you go through your own insurance company. Interesting. And that's the way that my family has done it. So, yep. you know, and, and this has been a real awakening for me with the significant crash that my family was in six, eight weeks ago. I mean, it all the stuff that I've preached for 19 years. You had to deal with it personally. Well, and I, and I had to make sure that it was good. <laughs> I had to make sure. Is this advice really yeah. what we're... Sure. What we're, what we're following. Right. And it is. Wow. Wow. So I know you, I know you were talking about some things that you don't want to do. And I, th- I think that's one of them. So get, giving a recorded interview, talking to the insurance company instead of um, retaining counsel. What now, now, why do you want to retain counsel? You, you want to retain counsel if you're hurt because... Um, you may say something or do something you, that might hurt your case later. Regardless of whether you retain my law firm or not, my experience is you are going to your your claim is going to work to be worth many 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 times more if you have qualified personal injury legal counsel as opposed to trying to go it on your own. Interesting. Okay. For sure. Yep. Some other things, um, sort of the no-goes that I would not do, um, we will have potential clients. We call them PNCs, potential clients. And they will talk about, they, they, will, they will say, look, I'm going to try to make an appointment with my primary care physician or my chiropractor type of thing. Um, I generally think that's a bad idea. Most of the time, your primary care physician won't see you, which we talked about before. Mm -hmm. But let's say you've been going to a chiropractor for seven years for maintenance. No big deal, just maintenance. The problem is all those prior records are going to be subject to disclosure when if you Mm. don't go to them, you can probably eliminate those. Interesting. Second, most of your really good personal injury attorneys have access to really good medical providers who, one, do a good job and a great job in treating injured clients. And secondly, they have experience in the personal injury world. They have experience testifying live in trial on behalf mm. of victims, and they also know how to write records. They will write records accurately because, again, you know, the defense attorney's best tool is the records. They get the records, they see all the inconsistencies, and they want to create ambiguity yep. and confuse the jury. So when a client or a potential client says, you know, I am planning to see my chiropractor or my PCP, primary care physician, tomorrow, that's something that I'll usually talk to them about. Um, most of your really good 
personal injury attorneys have not only good primary care physicians, but they have good specialists. And a lot of times when you're hurt, you need a specialist. You don't need a primary care physician. You need an orthopedist. You need a neurologist for a brain injury. You need an ENT specialist if you're having trouble hearing or if you're having an issue. You need specialists. That's a really that's a really good point, and actually, I mean, makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's actually a really good tip that it's going to save some people some cases. That sounds oh, like I mean, that's, I, that's a really interesting point. You know, another thing that if we're talking about mistakes that uh, clients make or or people who don't hire attorneys. Um, over and over and over. Let's say they have a traumatic brain injury, a mild TBI. They're having headaches. They're having dizziness. They're having nausea. I mean, they've yeah. got all the signs. They go to their orthopedist or they go to their primary care physician, orthopedist in particular, because they've got back and neck injuries. They will not talk about their TBI symptoms because they don't feel like they're in front of the specialist for TBI. They give their orthopedic symptoms, but they don't give their TBI symptoms. And what happens is the insurance company will look at that and say, oh, well, we don't see anything about a headache. We don't see anything about dizziness. We don't see anything about nausea. Wow. Um, and they will use that to beat so what I always tell clients is regardless of which doctor you're going to, which specialty it is, you report all of your symptoms, mm-hmm. period. Well, wow, so that's actually a really good point. Um, I know the times that I've been to the doctor, whether it was a specialist or somebody else, like I've only really like told them the things that I thought they wanted to hear based off of what their practice was. And so that's actually a really good point to like make sure you tell them everything so that they have all of the background information. Um, is there anything, Jason, that we didn't cover um, that you wanted to cover? Uh, anything we left on the table? There's two things I can think of. Um, I, I don't want to get into the details because it's, it, it, it takes a long time to explain. Yeah. But trust me when I tell you that the way Texas law is set up right now, the best thing you can do if you are going to the emergency room, if you're going to an orthopedist, if you're going to an don't give your health insurance, in particular with the emergency room. You do not have to give your health insurance. And even if you have health insurance, don't give it. Wow, there interesting. Are, there are rules... There are laws, there are statutes that essentially wipe out the managed care discount. And essentially that goes to the responsible party's insurance company. So any sort of managed care discount that you receive, you don't get to introduce that to the jury. So it's a difficult concept, but I would just say if you ever go to the emergency room because you're the victim of a personal injury, just tell them I'm not giving my health insurance right now. Um, I will call you later and tell you how we need to 
mm. address payment. That's the first thing. The second thing that I would say, and I think that this may be the most important of all, most people have no idea about their auto insurance, what coverages they need, what coverages they don't. And we have so many people who ask us that question, and we have so many clients. It, it's part of our service. I mean, it, it's, it's in our systems and processes that we help our clients with their insurance coverage. And the bottom line is you want to have a couple different coverages. Okay. You want to have underinsured, uninsured motorists. The acronym is UIM and UM. You want to have that coverage because 30% of the drivers on the road don't have insurance. They do not have auto insurance. I didn't realize it was that high. I knew they, were, they were out there, but that's crazy. You need to have that. The second thing that you need to have is the acronym is PIP. It stands for Personal Injury Protection. It is dirt cheap. Um, we're grandfathered. I think we have $100,000 on our, and I think we have central insurance. Okay. Um, some insurance companies limited at 10000 have PIP. A lot of people will have MedPay. Mm. MedPay is not very good because two things. MedPay does not cover lost wages. And then MedPay can be subrogated, subject to subrogation, if you receive a, a monetary settlement from a third party. Long story short, if the bad guy's insurance pays you, you have to pay MedPay back to some extent. Oh, PIP, wow. you don't. You want to have PIP, at least $10,000, and you want to have UIM, UM. How much? At least have as much UIM coverage as you have liability coverage. Liability coverage is how much coverage do you have for the other person if you cause sure. the crash? You yep. cause the crash, you hurt somebody. Let's say you have $100,000. Don't have $30,000 in UM or UIM. Have a hundred, have the same amount. I mean, care enough about your own body and your kids' you bodies and your else. passengers' <laughs> bodies as you do about the person that yeah. you just hurt. Wow. And if you do that, I think you're in good shape. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this week's podcast. We really appreciate it. Give it a like, give it a subscribe, um, drop us a comment, whatever you want to do. We really appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, see you around.